Welcome to the Girl Scout Troop Leader Experience Podcast. This is a podcast for Girl Scout volunteers and parents and any adults who are affiliated with Girl Scouts in any role, but primarily this is for troop volunteers. I wanted to do a in-depth episode of new leader frequently asked questions. So if you're a brand new volunteer, or if you know a brand new volunteer, or if you're trying to convince someone to be a brand new volunteer, and they have a ton of questions, this podcast episode should serve as another resource of information for you. So with that being said, let's get started. First question, must I be a parent to be a troop leader? No, any adult over 18 years old who successfully registers and completes a background check can volunteer with Girl Scouts. You do have to be over 21 in order to drive a girl in the car, but you can be a troop leader as long as you are 18 years old or older and you can successfully register and complete a background check. It is true that most troop leaders are parents, but it is not a requirement. I personally am not a parent of any of the girls in my troop, and in fact, none of the troop leaders in the history of my troop have ever been parents to girls in the troop. Next question, how much time does it take to be a troop leader? (laughs) There's a running joke about a Girl Scout branded tagline that claimed one hour a week. (laughs) let's be honest I have had a few co-leaders who have definitely only put in one hour each week but the truth is that someone in the troop needs to put in much more time than that the reality is that there is no requirement of time dedicated to being a troop leader you are a volunteer and can put in as much time as your schedule and prior commitments will allow The one thing I would say about this is that the girls really thrive from consistency. So whatever you commit to for them, stick to it. If that's minimal, that's okay. Just don't make promises and commitments that you cannot keep. I'll also add one more thing, and that is that if you are a parent to a girl in your troop, then any hours that you put into being a troop leader are hours that you're putting into going on adventures and making memories with your girl instead of letting her make those memories without you. Okay, next question. How long am I committed to being a Girl Scout leader? So there's no requirement here either, but I think it's fair to think about Girl Scouts as a K-12 program going into it. I think so many volunteers sign up and agree to be part of it only thinking about the next year ahead. Maybe they think about it through the girls' fifth grade year, but they don't necessarily think about it as potentially 15 plus years of volunteering. You don't have to commit to anything as far as length of time goes. But once again, I would emphasize here that consistency for the girls is key. So at least commit to one year. And honestly, even if there is turnover every year, that can be hard on the girls. They get attached. And I would also add that, honestly, year three was magic for me. Like, year one is just trying to tread water and keep afloat. 
Year two is much easier, but still figuring things out and feeling each other out. Year three is where massive bonding and deep relationships with the girls and really concentrating on up-leveling your events and activities takes place. It's kind of like teaching that way, where you get better at it as you've done it longer because you're confident, comfortable, and you have years of foundation to build on at that point. So I would challenge you to think about it as a three-plus-year commitment. If you have a daughter in the troop, you may feel like you are committed as long as she is. If she bails, you might feel compelled to bail as well. If she's interested in forever and you really need space or time away, that can feel hard because you feel like you have to stay for her. Generally, staying as long as your daughter does is a good rule of thumb. But honestly, even if your girl decides to quit or wants to switch out of your troop, you can stay a troop leader for the other girls. Like I said earlier, I don't have a daughter in my troop. You can also stop being a leader even if your daughter keeps going. So just do whatever works for you. Next question. I wasn't a Girl Scout growing up. What do I need to know? (laughs) Well, in my opinion, listening to this podcast is a good start because I really try to give a wide range of information from basics to in-depth stuff to mastery and more. Joining Facebook groups for leaders is another great resource for you. And of course, take whatever training your council offers. Talk to people, meet people in your area who have been involved long term, and they're going to be a great resource for you as well. To get started, you really just need to take training. I'm going to do a whole episode on just getting started as well, coming up soon, because I do think that would be very helpful too. So look for that one soon. But there are so many resources to support you and get you off the ground. Next question, is volunteer training provided? Yes. Right now, this varies a little bit council by council, but GSUSA is rolling out a more consistent nationwide program as well. In addition to the GSUSA nationwide program, you're still going to have council supplemented training too. So the effectiveness of council specific training too is going to completely vary. First of all, it's going to vary based on who's giving the training, who wrote the training, but also how you learn versus how it's presented. So whether it is quote unquote good training might be subjective, but there's definitely training included. There's also informal training like this podcast and tons of other resources online. Next question. Will someone be helping me start a Girl Scout troop? (laughs) Well, this is completely variant by your area. I can't even say this is council specific on this one, but even with in a certain council, people are going to have wildly different experiences regarding how well supported they were when they were first getting started. Your council may have support people who are happy to help and extremely effective. Your service unit or community or neighborhood or whatever the local area of Girl Scouting in your actual neighborhood is called, that might also have several people who are happy to help. And they may even have a formal mentorship program for you. But if you don't have any of that or you don't know how to find it, hop online and join a leader group on Facebook like mine. 
You can join mine by going to girl, uh, facebook.com slash Girl Scout Podcast. And if you're not already in the group, you'll see a little button that invites you to request to join. Or you can just reach out to me directly, and I'm happy to put you in touch with the right direction. But just looking online, you are going to find thousands of people who will enthusiastically help you. You are not alone, and you don't need to recreate the wheel. Communities help each other. Next question. How much does it cost to join Girl Scouts? And where do finances come from to start the troop? Okay, the basic cost to join for any member, girl or adult, is $25 per year right now. Your council might also have an additional annual membership fee. There is a lifetime membership option for adults, which is a few hundred dollars. And this is per person. So if it's you and your daughter, or multiple daughters, or if your significant other, if your in-laws, if your parents, if your sister, if you all want to join, $25 per person. Plus, for girls, there's uniform costs. Now, that's not required because it's not meant to be inaccessible, so technically, the uniform is optional, even though it's official, but I think it's safe to say it's expected. There's also a handbook that has many of the badges and their requirements in it, as well as other information about being a Girl Scout at each level. So there's potential additional cost there, although that information is available to you online. Troop costs completely vary, especially when you're first starting out. You could end up paying a fee for whatever your meeting location is, right? You may also need basic supplies. You're going to need at least one copy of the badge requirements to go off of, and any events or activities you do outside of the meeting place may have various costs or fees affiliated. Badges and patches that the girls earn cost money, too. Some councils or service units will support newly formed troops by giving them some supplies and or some startup money, but many times you are starting at zero dollars. You can charge troop dues, which is totally self-determined. However, you can't enforce it. So if a family can't or chooses not to pay, you cannot exclude or penalize the girl for that. You can also charge event fees to families. You can ask families to buy their own girls' uniform. You can ask families to pay for the badges and just you let them know what they earned. It is all totally up to you, especially when you're first getting started. So those are all options, too, that you might choose to do, especially as a new troop. The goal, of course, is for troops to be self-sufficient and for little to no money to come out of pocket from families. So ultimately, this is somewhat the troop's goal. Your troop earns money by selling Girl Scout cookies and maybe fall product, which is nuts and magazines. And you make a certain amount per item sold, which goes directly into a troop bank account. You might be able to do additional fundraising or money earning activities, but that is completely dependent on council approval. And they may have various requirements or conditions for a money earning activity. Next question. How do you decide how many girls are going to be in your troop? <sighs> well, technically, by GSUSA standards, five is the minimum number of girls to be a troop. But with that being said, many councils have a standard that your troop has to be listed as open to accepting new girls until you reach 12 girls minimum. 
then you can continue to add girls or you can close your troop to new members. It's up to you. Your council may have another number that they're looking for as well. Older troops who've been involved for eight, nine, 10 plus years might have an exception from council to have fewer than five. Maybe they started at 12 girls as second graders, but now that they're in high school, there's only three of them left. Councils will not usually enforce a minimum troop number because they're not gonna force that troop to disband and they usually won't force you to accept any new members either. Although, even if they said you did have to be listed as accepting new girls, it's pretty unlikely that you're going to have a random 10th grader join off the street without you or your girls actively recruiting them. So being listed online when you have older girls is not a huge deal. There's also a safety requirement for ratios of girls to adults. So you have to have two adults per a certain number of girls, which changes depending on the age of the girls. But... Within those confines of GSUSA definitions and council requirements, etc., you as the troop leader get to decide how many girls are in the troop. So for my troop, we initially closed our troop at 12 our first year because we only had two leaders. And for the age group that we had, that was the maximum for two adults. We did um, go up to 15 girls with three leaders for the past couple of years. But this year, we just expanded to four leaders and two consistent additional adult volunteers. And we're actually open to accept up to 24 girls across four grade levels. So there is room for a lot of growth this year. Now, we chose to stay at 15 for a while because we felt strongly that we were less in touch with each girl individually as our troop grew in size. And we didn't want it to feel like it was less of a personalized experience. So it was really important for us to be able to be close to each girl and for her to feel safe with us. This year, since we have level specific leaders, even though I personally will be less close to some of like the first graders, for example, because I'm the sixth grade leader and um, we just added first grade. So they're all brand new, but they're at least going to have a level leader that they'll know really well and feel close to. So it's all just personal choice. There are troops with 40 plus girls and there are also troops with three or four or five girls only. Next question, does Girl Scouts run background checks on volunteers? Yes, and depending on the results of the background check, certain volunteers may be limited or restricted as far as not being able to handle money, not being able to drive girls in carpool, and so on. Related, do I have to become a registered Girl Scout to volunteer? Yes, this ensures you, first and foremost, so you're covered by insurance. Also, you pass the background check. So in case of emergency, but also in order to have the background check on file, you have to be a registered Girl Scout to volunteer with a troop if you're going to be interacting with the girls on any level. Okay, where can I find information and materials on what to do with girls? (laughs) A million places. There is an online resource that is provided to all Girl Scout volunteers called the VTK, which stands for the Volunteer Toolkit. And there are meeting plans that you can literally follow word for word. You can also find a ton of resources that other volunteers have put online, either in, say, a podcast, aka this one, or in Facebook groups, blogs, whatever. 
Pinterest is a really common resource for this. And of course, meeting volunteers in your area will help. Your service unit or neighborhood or community or whatever it's called in your area is made up of a bunch of other leaders who can give you great ideas and suggestions, and they might even share materials with you. Next question. What help can you get from the parents? <laughs> this one also totally varies. Some of this is personal preference. So when I started my troop, we specifically set the expectation that this was going to be a drop off type of thing. The parents in my troop help with carpool. They sometimes chaperone things. And of course, they help with cookie booths, but they do not stay or support meetings or planning. Some troops have tons of parent help. Sometimes they actually even rotate the planning of each meeting family by family. So everyone takes turn planning, takes turns planning their meetings. Other troops, though, it's like pulling teeth to try to get parents to even respond in RSVP, let alone show up and support. So this is somewhat luck of the draw. There are definitely methods for trying to get parent involvement, but my best advice is to think about who you specifically want to help you with something and then ask them directly and very specifically. For example, Nancy, are you available to help chaperone the event on the 19th? I'd really love your support and company and we need another adult or we will have to cancel the event. People hate saying no, and they're usually really bad at it. So most of the time, this is really helpful. But if she really can't do it, or if she's talked to her therapist about learning to say no, then she might not do it, in which case you move on to your next choice. My advice is to never just put a blanket request out there like a Facebook post that just says, hey, can anyone help out on Saturday? Because everybody's instinct is to wait for someone else to step up. Next question, how do I join Girl Scouts? <laughs> if you Google Girl Scouts and your city or the closest nearby city, you'll find your council website. There should be a pretty clear join button on the front page, but if you need help, you should be able to find a phone number to call your council directly. But yes, you sign up online through your local council. Next question, when can my girl join and what is the best time of year to join? Anyone can join anytime. Many troops operate on a school year schedule, so back to school time is a common time to join, but new girls can join literally anytime throughout the year. The most challenging time to join is going to be during cookie season, which is usually somewhere from six to 12 weeks at the beginning of a calendar year. But again, you can join anytime. You can start a troop anytime as well. So our first year, we had a little bit of trouble getting enough girls committed and registered in order to get going at the beginning of the school year. So even though we tried to start at the beginning of a school year, we didn't really fully start meetings until towards the end of November. But we started parent meetings and recruiting as early as August. So the council is going to be really, really heavily focused on recruiting during back to school. And many troops choose not to meet over the summer. So that might also be a challenging time to join a troop or to start a new troop, but you literally can start at any time. Okay, what is a lifetime membership and how do I get one? <laughs> 
A lifetime membership is an option for adult members. You'll want to work with your council on this, although it should be part of the normal join form. There is no lifetime membership option for girls, but the cost is lower for young women who recently graduated high school. You definitely have to be part of Girl Scouts for several years in order for that lifetime membership to literally pay for itself. But in my mind, it's a donation to an organization I love and enthusiastically support. So I did not hesitate to sign up for a lifetime membership. Sometimes GSUSA does cool promotional programs with great lifetime membership pricing. But again, it's going to take several years to pay for itself, even at a promotional price. And that's intentional. They want you to be committed for a long time, but even if you quit for any reason, if it's financially feasible for you, again, I encourage you to think of it as a good place to make a donation, and it should be tax deductible as well. When and how do I renew my membership? Honestly, you're going to be prompted at the end of the year as a troop leader to enroll your troop membership for the following year. If you're a lifetime member, you never need to do it again. Just keep your background check current. But if you do need to re-register every year, your council is going to prompt you to do spring registration or summer early registration before the big push for new member recruiting at back to school time. You'll do this online through your member profile on your council website. How does my girl get matched up with a troop? What if I already have a troop in mind? When you sign up for Girl Scouts, you'll be able to see what's called the Opportunity Catalog, which is all the troops who are listed as open to accepting new girls in your area. If you have a particular troop in mind, you can select it from this list. They might have the day and time and location of their troop meetings, so you can find something that works for you and your schedule. Or if you don't see any options that make sense for you, select Unsure and your council staff will help connect you to a troop. They might even be able to hook you up with a new one that is currently forming, so therefore it's not on the list. Or, and I urge you to do this option, if you can't find one that works for you, start a new troop. I urge this if you don't already have one in mind, because the more girls we can serve, the better. And honestly, I can guarantee you are not going to regret signing up to start a new troop. Do I qualify for financial assistance? How do I apply? This also varies council by council, but your council will have criteria and a process for determining and distributing financial assistance. Girl Scouts is meant to be accessible, so there are options available. You just have to check in with your council to learn more. Is my girl safe in Girl Scouts? Uh, my knee-jerk reaction is yes. There are so many things in place to make this as safe an environment for girls physically and emotionally as possible. But I guess there is a certain level of risk involved in anything your girl does, including crossing the street. However, rest assured that volunteers are registered and background checked. There is council insurance and there are guidelines and rules that dictate how to run troops safely. There's also usually a variety of training, including first aid and overnight training and outdoor training required for adult volunteers to interact with girls in Girl Scouts. Race, gender, abilities, spirituality. Is Girl Scouts inclusive? Okay, as an organization, 
Girl Scouts has a reputation as being historically extremely inclusive, unlike the Boy Scouts organization's reputation. Girl Scouts nationally has an official stance to accept anyone in K-12 who identifies as a girl, regardless of race, sexual orientation, social class, physical ability, mental ability, and so on and so forth. Girl Scouts is for every single girl, period. Now, with that being said, it is a volunteer-driven organization with literally millions of members. In any massive community of people like that, you are going to find a few bad apples. There's always a chance of getting matched with other families who are jerks. This can be families who sign up to be part of your troop, or if you sign up for someone else's troop, it can be a volunteer affiliated with that troop. It's just part of associating with any group of other people. So the organization does take a stand on this and urges inclusivity for all who identify as girls and has a historical reputation of being very inclusive. But you're always going to hear stories and experiences people have had that are the opposite. Unfortunately, that's always possible. But just know it shouldn't be your experience. And the organization should protect girls as far as inclusivity goes. For differently abled girls specifically, I just want to mention that, as you probably know, if you're a parent of a girl who's differently abled, many volunteers and staff you come across may not know the best way to accommodate everyone. They may need a little extra support and patience and communication as it is a learning curve. And at least in my experience, there really isn't much in the way of training or anything on that specifically. From the volunteer perspective, I want to say that it is our responsibility to ensure that we are creating a safe environment where all our girls can thrive. So sometimes this takes an extra bit of coordination and communication with parents and guardians. And honestly, that is the best, best thing you can do as a volunteer. Ask the parents and guardians what the best way is to accommodate their girls. And like the vast majority of things that might need accommodation will not be visible, so you need to find a way to ask and communicate with parents about what their girls might need from the get-go, making no assumptions based on what you can or can't observe. A parents' meeting, a personal one-to-one -one introduction with newly registered parents, and a beginning-of-the-year survey are all great ways to get this information. And in my troop, we do all three of those things. When and how often do troops typically meet? Again, we are volunteers, which means that we get to determine when and how often our troop meets based on what works for us and our schedule. Now, to some extent, you do have to consider what age group you're working with. The youngest girls are more likely to be the most active, meaning they can have way more frequent meetings, but they also have the shortest attention spans. So their meeting times might need to be a little bit shorter. As girls get older and they're involved in 10,000 things, they might need to meet a little less frequently, but they can meet for longer periods of time. In general, it's super common to meet either weekly or every other week for an hour or an hour and a half at a time. Of course, some troops meet monthly and they might have longer meetings, like two to four hours at a time. And some older girl troops even meet less than that, like two to four times a year, but they do a whole day or a whole weekend to knock out badge requirements and so on. 
On top of meetings, there are events and activities outside of the meeting place. And again, the frequency and duration is up to you and your girls. I mean, they should obviously have a say in what they do and, you know, planning it and stuff, but that's a whole other topic. Who leads the troop? (laughs) So... I think the official answer is that the girls do. Girl Scouts is meant to be girl-led. And yes, girl-led is a big part of the Girl Scout program. So the girls should be leaders of their own Girl Scout experience. And we have talked about girl-led until our faces have turned blue, and it's not going anywhere. So we'll keep talking about it. But to summarize, this means that girls should get to make decisions and see the outcome of making their own decisions. They should feel empowered to make decisions and to construct and develop their own experiences. But in addition to that, you lead the troop. (laughs) Will you be doing it alone? Honestly, that's somewhat up to you. You can do it mostly on your own and just get enough assistance to meet requirements and safety ratios, or you can do it as a community and have a whole committee to run the troop with different delegation and so on. Or you and your best friend can do it together. I mean, there's a million options for constructing your troop volunteer leadership structure. So if you want help, I mean, you might have to work to recruit some help. And I've talked a little bit about this in other episodes, but I'm also going to keep talking about it in future episodes as well. What is expected of me as a parent or guardian of a Girl Scout? Okay, so when we're talking about parent and guardian expectations, this completely varies by troop. But I would say that we expect parents and guardians to be responsive, to read messages, and stay in the loop about troop occurrences. And... Honestly, I probably expect parents to help support whatever I tell them is going on at Troop. So if I tell them this is what we're working on for bronze or for cookie sales or whatever, I would particularly love if they would then enforce that at home. Example, we're working on cookie sale pitches and we want the girls to work for it. We want them to be well-versed on the different flavors, talking about where the money goes and what they're earning money for, what they like about being a Girl Scout, why people should buy cookies from them instead of inside the grocery store, and so on and so forth. We want them to practice saying thank you and making change and totaling up orders and overcoming common objections and so many more things. We practice this stuff at troop meetings and on the ground at booths, of course, but if we tell parents and guardians this is what we're working on, I personally hope that a really engaged parent or guardian might help the girls work on that at home. Also, if I mention that we had an impromptu discussion during carpool about trustworthy friends or mean girls, and I reach out to a specific parent to say, hey, I overheard this, which prompted this discussion. Just want to make sure it's on your radar. I'd hope that there's reinforcement at home that the parent or guardian would check in with their kids to open that door of communication as well. And to take that one step further, I'd also hope that this establishes a connection between me and the parent or guardian so that when they hear about stuff that's going on, they let me know, like, hey, my girl is having an issue with lying, or hey, my girl is struggling with her dad being out of town for an extended business trip, or whatever, because then we can support that stuff at troop events and meetings and carpools too. Sometimes we need parent and guardian support with covering cookie booths, chaperoning events, and carpools, so that's another expectation. 
Some troops might require parents to rotate in to staying at meetings or some other kind of contribution as well. And my final question, should I become a volunteer? Yes, times a thousand. Girl Scouts builds girls of courage, confidence, and character who make the world a better place. Alumni are more likely to go to and thrive at college, more likely to vote, they make more money, they're better adjusted in their personal relationships, they have higher self-confidence and self-worth, and the list goes on and on. The program is focused on the outcomes of supporting girls' sense of self, positive values, seeking challenges, building healthy relationships, and community problem solving. We put girls outside of their comfort zones to try new things, have big experiences, and make amazing memories, and build relationships while doing it. And the most incredible thing that no one talks about nearly enough is that all of these benefits not only apply to girls, but to the volunteers involved, too. If you have a daughter, stepdaughter, granddaughter, niece, goddaughter, or whatever, this is precious, precious time that you can spend with her. These are moments you can't get anywhere else, and your time to make these memories together is so limited. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to be part of this movement with your girl. If the information in this episode is helpful for you, please share it in case it can help someone else. And if you have a moment, please leave me a review and let me know how this podcast is doing and whether it is helpful for you or beneficial for you. I love to hear from real people who are listening to this podcast and to know that This matters to someone out there somewhere. So let me know. And if you have any questions or need any further support as a newer volunteer, please send me a message at girlscoutpodcast at gmail.com. Talk to you soon.